Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's episode is with Jaime Perez Gonzalez. Jaime is a Celtal speaker, researcher, writer, and translator from Tenango, Chiapas, Mexico. He is a PhD candidate in linguistics at the University of Texas at Austin. He has earned his master's degree in American Indian Linguistics at the Center for Research and Higher Studies in Social Anthropology, and his MA thesis won the 2013 Wigberto Jimenez Moreno Prize, awarded by Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History for the best master's thesis in linguistics. Since 2008, he has worked on different Celtal language documentation projects as a collaborator, a research assistant, and as a researcher. Among the topics he has worked on during these projects are dialectology and lexicography. He started working on Mochol, a related Mayan language, in 2015, and he is currently the principal investigator on the project Documentation of Mochol, Mayan, Language Preservation Through Community Awareness and Engagement, sponsored by the Endangered Language Documentation Program. So this interview was really exciting to record. Jaime has done a lot of fieldwork, and what I found so interesting about his experience is he's done fieldwork in two really different scenarios. So uh, he's done fieldwork in his own native language, Celtal, with his own family and community that where he was born, his hometown. And he's also worked in a in a community where he was an outsider, Mochol, and hearing him talk about his experience with Mochol was so fascinating to me. I feel like we don't often hear so many stories about people who go to communities where the community is reluctant to work with the researcher, but but in the end, the the community and the researcher are able to come to an understanding and both are happy with the research. So I really enjoyed hearing Jaime's perspective on this and how he's um, built up his relationship with the Mocho community and also his work in his own native language. And and yeah, overall, I just think that this was such a great interview. It's so clear that Jaime is such a good person and such a good researcher. And I'm really excited for this interview to be shared with the listeners. Jaime, thank you so much for coming on to Field Notes and for making time for this interview today. Uh, to start, can I ask you, how did you first become interested in linguistics? Yes. Uh, hi, Marta. Thank you for, for the invitation, and I'm really glad to, to be here. And uh, my first approach to linguistics was through literature. I grew up bilingual. Celtal and Spanish speaker. So I, I was really, uh, into translation since I was a kid. I wanted to understand, you know, the, the structure of Spanish, but also the structure of Celtal, which, uh, was, is the language that I also grew up with. 
Um, and I started to look at these, you know, tiny differences between Celtan and Spanish, and I wanted to know more. So uh, I studied uh, literature, Hispanic language and literatures in uh, my bachelor's. I wanted actually to, to do some sort of translation in, you know, for my BA thesis, but then I, I, I was looking at these concepts uh, for feelings, emotions in Celtal, uh, that they were very different to what we have in Spanish. So I, I wanted to that, to look more on into that area, but then I just realized I didn't know anything about my language. I didn't know anything about Celtal, the structure, the grammar. So I said, okay, I think first I need to understand, you know, how this language actually works to, to describe it better. So I, I started and I, uh, I contacted this linguist at CSS Sureste in Mexico, in Chiapas, uh, and I told him about my project that I wanted to write this BA thesis. And he said, okay, I'm going to help you, but I, I don't know anything about what you want to write. So if you want to write something about linguistics, then I'll be really happy to help you out with. So I said, okay, but first I, I need to understand the grammar because I, I know nothing basically about Celta grammar. So I started to look at his grammar. Uh, he is the author of this uh, awesome grammar in Celtal. So yeah, I jumped into Celtal and then I just was fascinated about what I was, you know, finding in Celtal. So I just said, okay, I think I'm going to describe something about, you know, more related with the grammar. Um, so yeah, I started with as a linguist, basically. Yeah, that's amazing. So it was kind of just like a happy accident that you started in literature, and then your interest in literature kind of led you into linguistics. Yeah, that's correct. And I, yeah, I'm still fascinated about literature, but I consider myself more as a linguist now than, you know, a literature yeah. critic or something. Can you give an example, like what you were speaking earlier about how the language to express emotions is really different? Yeah. Um, basically, I was interested on these concepts of, you know, like happy, uh, sad and, and terms to, you know, to express these sort of emotions in Celtal. Because, um, when, when we say happy in, in Spanish, we just say like, a, you know, a literal translation of happy where we have in English, uh, feliz, uh, or triste for sad. But the construction in Celtal, um, is a bit different because you take a, you know, a, a part of your body and then you, 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 you refer to it when you are either sad or happy. So, uh, for example, to say, uh, I am, I'm happy, you would say something like which means something like my heart is is up or something like that. Uh, so uh, when you say I'm sad, you would say my heart is uh, like uh, lying on, on a surface, like basically it's on down. So yeah, these sort of things that I, I was kind of intrigued because I was like, why do we have to refer to which is this part, uh, hard when we, when we talk about emotions, you know, and sometimes you actually say, for example, when you say, uh, I, I am, I'm angry, you would refer to your, to your stomach or something like that. Like, 
things like that. So I was just like, oh, why is this different? You know, like, and, and I wanted to understand more about this, uh, basically the neuro, uh, neuro linguistics of emotions. Yeah, that's so interesting. I love things like that. Um, I know in Persian, when you want to express endearment, you say like, you're my liver. Uh huh. Yeah. I think that's so interesting. And also I was interested because I read this, uh, dissertation. It, it, it's a dissertation written about Yucatec Mayan, which is another Mayan language. Uh, and he wrote this, uh, doctoral dissertation about colonial terms for emotions in Yucatec Mayan. And he said something like, you know, it was not actually the heart that was used in Mayan in Yucatec Mayan in before the, you know, the Spaniard, uh, Spaniards came to, to this area. So I was kind of intrigued about that, you know, because in Celtal, everything is, is about heart, either happy, sadness, anything. Uh, but he said it, it was not actually the, the heart that was, you know, the, the organ that was important for Mayan people, but something, you know, like, like the, the stomach or, you know, like some, some other organs. And I was like, okay, I have to look at this in, in deep and see what, what actually have in Sentan. And now that I'm working in Mocho, I actually corroborated that hypothesis that, you know, this, uh, Gabriel Bording, his name, uh, wrote about his dissertation because in Mocho, we don't actually have a term for hard like like we do have in other Mayan languages and uh-huh. the the reference the main organ that's referenced when we have these emotions is actually the stomach or a part of the stomach or the liver you know or the gallbladder so it's it's really amazing to see how you know like it's not actually the heart that's you know in the in the center of emotions but the different parts of your body depending on what the, the emotion is you know Yeah, that's so amazing. That's so interesting. So do you think maybe this question is like so way out there, but do you think that like comparing to Mocho where it's all about the stomach and the liver and like other things, do you think it was always about the heart or do you think that's like some colonial influence that has shifted the the phrasing? Uh, yeah, I, um, actually, well, I started and hopefully I'll finish sometime soon a paper about you know these uh differences that we have at least in in these two different languages about emotions because in much mocho is i think one of the languages where uh there well we don't have descriptions like uh, you know colonial descriptions about mocho so we don't know for sure what we know is that when when we when they have this this ritual speech, which are very traditional and they haven't changed that much because these Mocho people did not have that influence of, you know, the, the religion or Catholicism in this area. Um, so they still keep these very nice constructions where they refer to these certain parts of, of their body to refer to, to these different emotions. And in, if we look at in Sertan, like these emotions, are of course like more referred to, to Optan, which is the, the heart. But, uh, what I think is actually that this is, uh, 
and maybe a Western influence, these constructions mm-hmm. that came after. Uh, and, and we see that because when we go to this ritual speech in, in very, in prayers, for example, you will still find those, uh, like constructions. Of course, like we don't use them now, you know, in, in our everyday life because we, we actually don't know them. But we, if we look at this, uh, very traditional speech, th- then we can still find some traces there. So I think it's some sort of maybe a post-colonial thing that developed either by Western influence or by something else. But I'm not certain about what exactly happened there. Yeah. So in the like in the fixed registers, like the old ritual speech that nobody uses as much today, that you still see references to other organs. But but then today when people actually speak, they're talking about the heart. Is that right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you, you see also that because the construction of heart, the word for heart in Mayan languages will differ in all of them. Like not, oh. not, there is no like a proto, uh, word for heart that would be shared in these emotional terms. Uh, so that is also another clue that tells us that in, in fact there, you know, that there, there was, there was something that actually made these languages to, to develop its own term for, for Otan. But, uh, in Mocho, there is no term for Otan. What they do is they took the, the term alma, which is from Spanish and it means soul or spirit. And that is a term they use in Mocho, in, in the modern Mocho. So it's like, okay, so there is no term for Otan, for, uh, hard in, in Mocho. And that tells us, you know, something about not being a word that was a center of the emotions in this language. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's actually my first approach to linguistics, you know, to understand these sort of constructions that were quite different in Celtal in Spanish. Can you, can you share a bit about the Celtal language context? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, Celtal is a, is a Mayan language, uh, and it's, uh, well, in, there are two main branches of Mayan languages. One is like the Kichen and Mamean, and then there is the Kanjobalan and Celtal languages. So Celtal belongs to this, uh, other branch. Uh, and Celtal is spoken in the southeast of Mexico, in, mainly in the state of Chiapas. Uh, but of course we got, we find also some diasporas throughout Mexico in different states, uh, mainly in Mexico City, but also here in the United States. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's mainly spoken in Chiapas, in the state of Chiapas. And it has around more than a, a half a million of Speaker, so it, it's quite it in in Chiapas. It's the main um, main indigenous language spoken, and it is the second or third in Mexico. Uh, it's the second Mayan language uh, spoken, uh, well spoken in in Mexico after Yucatec Mayan. Is it does it have recognition or any support in Mexico, or is it? not recognized recently the it's been proposed that that any indigenous language in mexico would potentially be uh you know recognized officially uh but of course you know like it is recognized but uh in terms of you know education and uh official 
issues or you know uh, use of this cell tile is not yet in in that level but yeah there are many many uh people who are working on you know this promotion or this sort of uh in any way that they can actually uh make Celtal one of the you know official languages at least in Chiapas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about how your work with Celtal has differed or compared to your work with Mocho? When I first started with you know in linguistics I started to to look at these sort of emotions and stuff. Uh so I work in uh expressive predicates in Celtal and idophones uh, because it, this is also a way, you know, of expressing some sort of expressivity in Celtal. So I worked on that and, uh, it was more like a descriptive work. I continued this work until my master's, uh, working on Celtal. Uh, and I, of course, worked also as a documenter, uh, as, you know, uh, dialectology, in dialectology and some other topics. But now I am mainly focused on descriptive linguistics again, but, uh, in mocho. Uh, but I, I'm also working on, you know, stuff related with language documentation and language revitalization. Uh, I'm interested in language revitalization because since 2015, I started to work with mocho and mocho has, uh, very few speakers. It has around 45 speakers oh, wow. left. So it is really necessary to work on these, uh, kind of projects because mm-hmm. it's, it's urgent. We are, and I'm trying to work collaboratively with some speakers to, you know, promote the language and teach the language. So that's, uh, uh one of our main goal, uh, you know, in a short term goal. Yeah. Can can you tell us more about the collaborative aspect of your research that you just mentioned, like teaching teaching mocho, and can you tell us more about that? Well, when I first uh, went to Motosintla, where mocho is spoken, I I really hard I had a very hard time <laughs> uh, because. There are few speakers and they all are elders, you know, above the, the younger, the youngest speaker is 72 years old. Uh, and the rest, you know, are above. So it's kind of, you know, very difficult to work with them. Uh, and the first challenge I start, you know, I, I found in Motosintla was that these people were, you know, against their, uh, their own language in, in terms of, they did not want to teach their language. They were very reluctant to work with researchers. And I, I didn't understand, you know, why they were actually uh, acting like that, but I was insisting. I insisted a lot and I tried to, to learn the language myself with data that we have at ILA, the Archive of Indigenous Languages of Latin America here at UT Austin. Uh, so I looked at these documents that we have there and I tried to learn some mocho before I went to the field. But like, uh, but people were really like, um, you know, against working with researchers. So I was like, I want to work with you, but if I can't, then I'm just going to give up. You know, I, I move, I, I want to work with this language, but if I can't, then I'm just going to work with, with Celtal, which is my native, like one of my native languages. So. I found this speaker, Teodoso Ortiz Ramirez, who is my main 
professor, my main teacher, language teacher, and he is the one who has been working with me since then. And he was like, okay, if no one wants to work with you, I can work with you, you know? Like, he was really, really uh, um, polite and very helpful in that first trip. It was just like an explorative trip because I didn't know the area. So I just wanted to see how the situation was, how, you know, the, 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 the place and everything. Um, so I, 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 I remember my first trip was in 2014 to Motocintla. When I came back to Austin, I was like, I'm just going to give up and I'm going to work on Celtal. These people are just like, go, go away, go learn English, go learn French and things like that. So I was like, okay. Uh, they were like, no, this language is useless. We're not going to, uh, you know, teach this language. It's going to die. So, you know, just go, go away. And I was like, and, but this person to also was just awesome. And I said, okay, if I want to work, I will work with him. And, you know, I, I will just try to work with him. Um, but anyways, I came back to Austin and I was very frustrated. I was sad. I was, you know, very, uh, angry with myself because I was like, why the hell I want to, you know, uh, go through this situation, you know. Anyways, I then, um, that year, I, uh, that year, I actually recorded some stuff with, uh, Don Teodoso. And I came back to Austin and I just played them over and over again to try to learn the language, to try to get these sounds and, uh, and of course learn some grammar. And, uh, and that was my task for that year. And then I said, if I get so much of this year, I'll go back next year and see what people's reaction will be, you know? And I went back and, and, and he was like, okay, if they don't want to work with me, I'm going to go to, to, to Santan where there, it's another dialect of Mocho. And there are only, there were back then there were like 10 speakers. Now there are like five speakers. So I said, if I don't, if these people don't want to work with me, I'm going to go with to, to, to Santan and I'm going to work with those speakers left there. Anyways, I came to, to, I went back to Motocintla and I, I just started to, to, to talk to people and, you know, to understand why, why they were like very, very mean to me before. And the good thing of what I, I think was a good thing I did was that I got to their places speaking mocho. The first, I like, I, I, from, from the street, I was just, saying hi to them in mocho and you know like trying to to uh speak my poor mocho or my ungrammatical mocho <laughs> and th they were really surprised about you know that i i was already able to speak so mocho and they were like who did you know like who did uh who who was the person who taught you and i was like uh i learned it by myself i got some files on this archive and i just started to look at them and i i wanted to learn this this language and they were like, oh, uh, but how, how could you do that? And I was like, because I, you know, I, I, I had these, uh, recordings and I had these, uh, transcriptions. So I just read, read through and, and tried to, to learn some grammar. And they were like, oh my God. So you are really interested in this language. And I was like, yes. And, and they were like, why don't you go and learn French? Why don't you go and learn English? And I was like, I already know English and I don't, I'm not interested in French. So it's like, uh, I, I, I want to learn this language. And they were like, Oh, so you're really into it. And I'm like, yes. 
And if you want to teach me, it's okay. And if you don't want to teach me, I, I found this person who is, you know, very, uh, very nice and, uh, and, uh, support you. So I'm going to work with, with, uh, with him. And they were like, okay. So I started to work with this person, one person, and then I went to another person and, you know, try to, to, you know, work with more, more than one person, because that's, that was my goal to, to try to include more as many as I could. Uh, of course, those who were still able to, to work with, uh, with us in, in these projects, because, uh, as I said, they are elders and they have some sort of issues, health issues. So you, you cannot work with many, but, you know, at least five, 10, uh, it was still possible. So that, that year, I convinced Don Teodoso that we, we had to work to, 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 to do some, something, you know, publicly to, 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 to try to, uh, get people's attention. And, you know, because the idea was also to teach mocho, uh, and people there in this part of, uh, Chiapas is very against in indigenous languages because, uh, discrimination has been very, I mean, in, in many parts, in many, I think in every, uh, in every part of Mexico, but here specifically, because this was the only like, uh, minority group that was, that still, uh, you know, it's still alive and they are still speaking their language because some other languages are actually gone around this area. Uh, it, it's very interesting because this part also was what was, was, a was an area that, uh, was part of Guatemala. In the, in the early, uh, 1800. So, uh, it became part of Mexico in the late 1800s. So it, it, be, it became part of Mexico, but it also had so many laws against indigenous languages. That's why actually Mocho has so many, uh, very few speakers right now. But anyways, I talked to these people and I convinced them to work with me. And that first year in 2015, uh, we, had a summer camp. Uh, but what we did was to invite people from all over the world, basically. Like uh, we went to San Cristobal. San Cristobal de las Casas is a very touristic city. And we promoted that summer camp there because it's a very, it's an international place, you know, where people from all over the world comes. And it was a success. Like people, white people or gringos, as you know, as we call them in, in Spanish, came to Motocintla and the lo local people were really surprised about, you know, why these gringos or white people want to learn this useless language, you know, that no one, nobody wants to learn. So I think that actually helped us to enhance the, the language, to make it visible there and to say, okay, this language is actually important. If it is not important for you as a local person, it is important for them, mm -hmm. for some other people, you know, that they value and they recognize the importance of this language. So when in this summer camp, I talked to many people, you know, as many as I could, speakers of Mocho. And of course, the first day, there were only three speakers, you know, in this summer camp. The second day, we got like 10 speakers. And, you know, the third day, there were like more speakers. So it was really amazing to see how these people came together. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting. So I think that ties in really nicely to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is how has your experience of working with your own native language? I mean, I know you mentioned that Satal has a um, like half a million speakers, right? So, so it's actually a huge 
yeah. huge number of people. So have you worked with your own community or do you work with other communities? Um, I guess what I'm wondering is like uh, your experience of being an insider linguist versus a very much an outsider, it sounds like, with Mochol. How how has that compared for you? Yeah, um, it's, as I said, it, it was a challenge to, to, to go to Motosintla. Well, it, it wasn't a challenge to go because it was easy, but to get to work with people was the challenge. Comparing it to Celtal, of course, it's totally different because Celtal, you know, it's a vital language. Everybody speaks Celtal. In my community, there is actually, uh, a 99% of mono, uh, of, uh, Celtal speakers. There are very few who don't speak the language nowadays because when I was gr- growing up, everybody spoke mocho. Like no one, not a single person. Mocho or Tzeltal? Was not a speak. Uh, Tzeltal, sorry, Tzeltal. So everybody spoke Tzeltal. Even my mom. My mom is not a Tzeltal uh, person. She came to, to this town because she, she married my, my dad, but uh, she learned Tzeltal. So... In Celtal, you would be actually ashamed if you wouldn't speak Celtal, you know. So everybody speaks Celtal there. Uh, and working with, you know, as a linguist, working with my own community was quite easy. Also because what, uh, my grandfather was a deacon. So it was a very, like, very... Uh, like high prestige. High prestige person in town. So people really knew him and... Of course, they knew us because we were also the only family in town who were like sort of mestizo family, you know, uh, um, uh, a non-indigenous woman uh, with an, an uh, with my father who was from the town. So uh, we were well known there. And when when I became a linguist, everybody knew me. Everybody, you know, if of course I I I, I left my community when I was a. 12 years old to go to study high school or middle school in Okosingo because in my town there was no middle school back then. So I had to move to another, to a, to a city to, to, to start my, my middle school. And then, and then I came back, you know, uh, of course I, I visited my family every now and then because we literally moved to, to Okosingo like for our entire life. Uh, and, but I still went back, you know, to visit my family. So they knew, uh, they knew me, but they didn't know what I was doing. Uh, so when I came, became a linguist and I went back to my community, I just needed to say, Oh, okay. I am the, uh, grandchild of this person or my mom is Doña Elvira, you know, like the, the non Celtal woman who lived here. And she was well known because she was also a bakery. So she had a bakery. So, you know, she, she was like very well known. Anyways, so, uh, and they were like, Oh, you're Jaime. Oh, you know, like you're, you're, you, you changed a lot. So yeah, I was like, yeah. And now I'm here. I'm a linguist. So I'm doing this and, you know, like trying to explain what I was doing. And it was quite easy. So to, to be honest, to get, to go and work with my community, it was quite easy. Everybody wanted to work. And everybody wanted to work for free, you know, like everybody just wanted to, to be there to be part of what I was doing. And of course, I, I, I couldn't include everybody, but I, I did, uh, what I could. The first time I actually brought a person, uh, a white person taller than me, you know, like this, pr- not 
indigenous prototype or not Mexican either. Uh, so they were like, they, that was the only issue I had because I brought that person in the town with me. And they were like, why are you bringing that person? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, we're going to help you, but not this guy. Because we were actually, I was in, back then I was also part of a project, project of dialectology, Celtal dialectology. So I, uh, I had, you know, this person came with me. He's also a linguist. So, uh, people did not expect me to bring this person. So the reaction were sort of like, okay, now I, we're doubting about, you know, what you're doing. Maybe you are actually selling our language. Maybe you are actually, you know, making money out of this, what you're doing. We were helping you because we thought it is for you and it was, it was you know, for uh, your studies. And then um, I had to convince them, of course, to, you know, to about what we were doing there as worker in in this project and then what I was doing previously uh, for my uh, field work for my bachelor uh, thesis. So yeah, that was like a long conversation and I had to convince them that I wasn't actually selling the language as they, you know, say. And of course, when I worked with them as my own field work, I paid them, but they didn't accept. So uh, I, what I did was to, 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 to give them, you know, like some sort of a gift in uh, in exchange but when we got there with this person uh we had to pay and i i told this person okay we're here as a project so we have to pay them we're not giving them gifts we have to tell them that this is actually part of a project so i i I explained them everything so they knew you know about the difference where i i am working as as a in a project and when i'm doing my own field work you know uh, just as collecting data for my my thesis so uh, that was the only issue i had but then I, I, of course, work in different other communities, Celtal communities. And again, it was easy because I speak Celtal. So, uh, approaching them, speaking their language is easier for, for them to, to know, to value you as, as a person that are, is actually interested. Even though you're not, uh, you're not a Celtal person. If you are a linguist who speaks the language or any person who speaks the language, they will actually value for that as well. But so, yeah. And, and, with Celtal is is different because you can work with any Celtal speaker, even even in San Cristobal. You know, San Cristobal de las Casas is this very touristic city. You you find diaspora diasporas there, many people living there. So if you want to work with any people there, you can do that. Like it's it's not necessary to go to a very specific place to to work with Celtal because you can find speakers of Celtal or of any dialect of Celtal in San Cristobal de las Casas. So it's it's quite easy to find speakers wherever you are, basically in 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 this in Chiapas. But with Mocho, it's not the same because uh, there. Are, Speakers are only in Motocintla. Well, there are some people who left Motocintla. There are, for example, there is a person I know in Tapachula, which is another city, uh, but she doesn't speak mocho and she left Motocintla when, when she was like 16, when she got married. So she, she never spoke mocho after, you know, moving again, married there. Uh, so who the speakers of, of mocho are just there in Motocintla and some others, tiny towns and they are elders. So it's, you know, you have to go there, you have to work with them there. And it's not actually like in these meetings that I mentioned before, 
uh, you have to go and pick them yeah. because they, they are elders, so they cannot like go out by themselves. So you are also a driver then, you know, like, yeah. it's not like you are the linguist. You are also a driver. You are also the person who take care of this person because if, if they go with you, you are in charge of this person, you know? So it's like, okay. Uh, so yeah, it's quite different. And of course, you know, getting data from the speakers, as you may know, it's, it's quite different, you know, uh, because when you do elicitation, they get bored. Like in five minutes, they will like, what? Or distracted. Exactly. Like they are like, why are you asking me this? You know, like, uh, this is boring. Or if you tell them like, repeat this three times, it's like, Oh, why? No, you already recorded once and that's it, you know? And so things like that. And you still explain them, you know, you try your best to explain them why you are doing this and why you are asking them to repeat three times, but they do it once. And then like the second time is like, okay, just one, one time and, and it, and things like that. So it's very, it's a challenge. Really, it's very challenging to, to, you know, try to, to, to work with them, and especially these sort of like, uh, elicitation lists or words or phrases because they, they will, they won't understand. Even if they understand, they will just like be, um, you know, like they, they, they won't care about, you know, your, what you're doing. So what I try to do now is, as I said, is just to, to get as much as, uh, as spontaneous, uh, corpus I have, I, I get, you know, from, uh, the speakers. So I, I try just to, to make them speak or have conversations or tell stories about things. And then I can just, uh, with this youngest speaker, uh, this is the only person who actually can like give you very, very, um, metalinguistic explanation about some, about certain things. And that's like, that's very awesome because uh, you know, like with the rest of the speakers, it's very difficult to work with, you know, and, but this guy is just awesome because he can, he can, he can tell you, you know, the difference between this derivation or that other derivation. So uh, that is the, the, actually the, the person who has been my teacher, but also like co-author of this grammar that I'm, I'm writing about mucho now. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. I feel like it's hard to appreciate until you're actually there how rare it is for people to have metalinguistic awareness. Like they might speak a language, but to actually be able to, to think about the differences between two phrases or, you know, well, why is it like that? Like it's, it's actually really tough. Um, in my experience as well, like I, I was lucky enough to, to meet a few people who had that, that very high metalinguistic awareness, but a lot of other people, like you said, like they didn't care about elicitation. They didn't want to do interviews, but, but they were fine if I just wanted to hang around and record them, you know, talking to their friends or talking to their families. That was okay. I could do that all day long. They didn't care. But for like a 10 word elicitation, forget it. No way. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Like people just, you know, totally. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Jaime, so much for for sharing your experiences with us. Where can our listeners learn more about you or find you online if they're interested in your research? Oh, well, so far, I only have Academia, which is like the the, the page where I uh, where I share some of my stuff and about you know research I've done and written about Centale Mocho, but uh, in terms of the uh, documentation uh we have 
uh, this project in at Euler mm-hmm. at the Endangered Language uh, Archive. Um, and yeah, so that's basically the two places where I I think I have soft. Awesome, and I'll link I'll link your deposit and your academia page so people can find it in the show notes if they're interested. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Marta, and it was really nice to talk to you. Yeah, you too. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens, with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Evil Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ling Field Notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Thanks for listening.